pop quiz, what does Advent mean? Anybody know what Advent means? Wait, somebody, I, I heard suspicion. Did you say suspicion? Anticipation. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. That's what I get for not being able to hear. I'm sorry. No. And, well, anticipating, waiting, that's what you do in Advent. That's true. But the word literally means, uh, somebody in the middle said it. Arrival. Arrival. Right. Like the, the first Advent of Jesus was the, the first arrival of Jesus. When is the second Advent of Jesus? His second coming, right? When he comes and he, he puts the world right again. And he destroys sin, gates of hell fall, new heavens and new earth. All those wonderful things happen together. So um, Advent is the season that's upon us. We do it, we do Advent like hard in our house. You know, we do the Christmas season super hard. And so like our house looks like a gingerbread house at this point, And we have all kinds of cool things going on. The kids are enjoying life. So we like to make big celebrations or trying to find ways to increase traditions. And so what we do, Advent, what we do is we will do um, like a daily little reading. And then we'll do like a little, I mean, I'm talking like one paragraph. Here's what's going on in this text. So like we did Genesis 1-1. Everything starts here at the beginning. God created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. Then we did Genesis 1-27, which God made man in his image. We are God's image bearers, and God has sent us out as his image bearers to cover the earth, cover all of creation with the image of God. We are sent out to execute his mission to do that. And then, uh, oh, I don't remember what today is supposed to be. I'll have to look back in my notes to see. But anyway, you know, we just kind of move through it, stuff like that. So it's fun little things, really quick. It might be something fun for you all to do. Also, today after service, um, so Northside's finished their building, what, what, and they are moving in, like today. <laughs> Today it's happening. So the gym's done. They're having their first Sunday there. And then right after service, they're going to be having a little picnic down there. And they've invited us to come attend. So anybody who wants to go, you literally just go through a drive through and pick up whatever you want and then drive to Lafayette and have a little picnic with them. So I think my family's going to go. The Rileys are already there. David called me yesterday and he was like, hey, I just found out two of my brother-in-laws are getting baptized tomorrow. And I was like, oh, you should go to that. <laughs> so bye. So they, he's already there. So if y'all would like to come, come hang out, enjoy that. Um, it's a neat facility. It's where the, you know, the academy, y'all know where the academy is, 1700 East Willow. Um, it's a neat facility if you haven't seen it yet. It's, well, I say it's neat. It's new. Maybe that's what makes it neat. It's a big gym, you know. So it, I guess it's as neat as a gym could, could be. I don't know. It's, got a, it's a big room with a roof and some walls, and there's toilets in it. I think the thing that most Lafayette people are excited about is the toilets are new. I don't know. Like, yeah, like Northside had some, how many, several of y'all came from Northside. Yeah, that, that, those bathrooms were, whoo, they were, they were special. So anyway, they got some fun things going on over there. Okay, that's it. That's all my little announcements for today. We're going now into our Sunday school series, series, our Sunday school series on wine. We're talking about the biblical applications of wine, what it means. Uh, can you guys remember from last time? Let's think through. Let's think through some concepts of the the discussion that we had time before last. When David came, y'all talked about some cool stuff, though. Y'all did like the Puritans and uh, history of beer that and their utilization and all those things. And the Puritans were like some sticklers, and they didn't do prohibition. Where did prohibition come from? Do y'all remember? Women. That's where it came from. <laughs> Women. No, well, that's a joke, but it is actually true. 
Uh, prohibition largely was birthed out of feminism. Um, feminism movement, the women's suffrage movement, prohibition, it all hit at about the same time. And then the, uh, the, it was an overcorrection to men not doing their jobs. Um, and so we went from trying to be a we went from trying to be a patriarchal society to an egalitarian society. And that patriarchal society means men-led, father-led, okay? An egalitarian society is a, is a flat society. Everybody is the same, right? Can you all hear me? Okay. Everything fell apart from it. That's right. So, and... Uh, but here's the bottom line, really, is that you live in a patriarchal society whether or not you want to. You see that every time one of these boys who are pretending to be a girl competes against a girl. What happens? They get obliterated, right? It's, you get, a, you get a, a man who's you know, not good enough to compete with the best of the best in the men, but he's about middle of the pack, and then he gets into the, I don't know, the pool or the race or the running track or the wrestling match, God forbid, with women and just obliterates them. There's a, uh, there's a female, no, there's a male rugby player, I'm not making this up, uh, that plays rugby as a woman against women. Imagine how well that goes. Really bad. Really bad. Like it's, and he's not even that they're probably really excited that they get to destroy these women, you know, and then I have to explain to my son, no, we don't hit girls. Even when we pretend to be girls, we still should not hit girls. But anyway, my point on all that is saying is that we live in a, we live in a patriarchal society no matter what. You can pretend that we don't live in a patriarchal society, but father rule is the nature of the world, okay? I saw videos not too long ago of, uh, of a a man taking his wife's name, and everybody celebrated, yeah! Well, why did they celebrate it so hard that he took his wife's name whenever they got married? Because everybody knew in the back of their minds, no matter what, he should be the one that's in charge, and we're fighting as hard as we can to rebel against that. It's just the way it is. So in the early 1900s, 20s, 30s, women's suffrage movement, prohibitionist movement hits, um, and then you got what? What came, what is, what's the thing that came out of the Prohibition movement that's super weird? Do you guys know? NASCAR. <laughs> it's, it is true. It is true. You, you tell them, buddy. Tell them, buddy. With souped up stock cars. Yeah, that's, that's where it came from. That's... NASCAR. That's right. That did that did come from prohibition. But do you want to know what else came from prohibition? I think Dana's got it. No, I was going to say that's in my science textbook. I taught that. Oh, nice. Nice. Do you do you want to know what else? Welch's grape juice. Dead serious. So Welch's grape juice was was not a product until prohibition and welch's grape juice was largely created to do what guess what communion now why did they have to do that because what happens if you make grape juice and you put it on a shelf 
it ferments. <laughs> there ain't nothing you can do about it. It's going to ferment. So they had to figure out a way to pasteurize it in such a way that it would kill the fermentation. Grape juice, lock eyeballs with me. Grape juice was not a thing until like the 20s and 30s. Was not a, unless you're like literally squeezing the grapes into your mouth, in which case that's grape juice, sure. But it, it didn't exist. People, then we talked about the different words. There's a, there's a less fermented form of wine that exists in the Bible. And so folks are like, see, grape juice. That's not what that is because people still got drunk off of it. <laughs> you know, it still had fermentation. What they really mean is it was less fermented. So yeah, so prohibition, women's suffrage, feminism gives birth to this idea that alcohol is the devil because there were men who, like Buddy said, weren't doing their jobs. And then as a result, things kind of got dicey and fell apart. So all kinds of fun issues there. All right, so let's do some reviews of like Old Testament. Old, the way the Old Testament talks about it. Do y'all remember the three words that we talked about for wine? There is a child that you should pray for. <laughs> Do y'all remember the three words, the three Old Testament words for wine? One of them started with a Y. There you go. Yeah, yayin, yayin. Yes, that's one of them. And that's the most common one. It appears about 141 times. And that's the, the Old Testament word for wine. Now, universally, the lexicons agree. Now, lexicon is just like a, a, a Bible word dictionary. That's all lexicon is. Universally, the lexicons agree that yayin means fermented alcoholic wine, period, full stop. Like, it just, that's what it means. So anybody who comes up to you and says, no, yayin doesn't always mean wine, you need to just look them right in the eye and be like, full lexical agreement says that it does. And they'll be like, what's a lexicon? Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, some prohibitionists will argue that when the Bible says <laughs> that says yayin and it means a good thing, it means grape juice. And when it says yayin and means a bad thing, it means wine. <laughs> I'm not making this up. But they're bringing, you see what I'm, they're bringing their presupposition to the text, right? They're not getting their, their understanding from the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. Do you guys remember what happens in Genesis 9? What happens in Genesis 9? This is all review. That's, well, that's post-flood, yeah. And what happens post-flood? Noah gets off the boat and does what? Plants a vineyard and gets drunk. There's my, that's my boy Noah right there. Like, and what is that supposed to be indicative to us of? Do you know? So God wiped the earth of the wicked people, but there's still sin. Noah gets off the boat and he, he parties too hard. He gets, he gets so drunk that he can't even walk. Like, that's obviously sinful. The text is over the top on that. We can see, okay, he's obviously sinning here. He's a little bit worse than just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wasn't just drunk. He was drunk and naked. You got to say it like a North Louisiana person. Naked and drunk. But yeah, no, he, he was obviously obviously sinfully partaking in that particular moment and he needed to be restrained but that's the there's this interpretive principle called the interpretive principle of first mention which means that the first time that a particular word pops up in the bible we should give that definition of that word a little bit more weight and that's the first time yayin pops up yayin for wine yayin yayin pops up for wine and it pops up as a thing that can obviously get you what drunk i mean like that's it it was obviously 
fermented. That's how it goes. <clears throat> um, wine production did all kinds of things. We won't get into that too much. Um, can you all think of any uh, uh, moments in the Bible where we see wine as a good thing? Celebrations? Okay, good. Can you think Old Testament? Think Old Testament. Excellent, yes, with the choices of wines, but Welch's, buddy, Welch's, just grape juice, not real wine. What else, can you think of any, what, what happened with Melchizedek, do y'all remember? He brought bread and Welch's, nope, he brought bread and wine, he brought, it was a part of the celebration, and then, and what did Abraham do with Melchizedek? Gave him a tenth of everything, but he, he ties to this guy. Melchizedek is actually like a representation of a, what, what we would call a Christophany. Um, it's, a, it's a type of, of appearance of Christ, uh, of the priestly order of Melchizedek. You'll see that happen in Hebrews. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but we could talk about that more at another time. Then there's another one. So we got Yein in the Old Testament. We also talked about the word strong drink. Do you remember strong drink? And uh, do you remember the Hebrew for strong drink? It's a fun one. Shakar. That sounds like Klingon almost, doesn't it? And uh, if you watch Star Trek, you know, maybe you didn't watch Star Trek. But Shakar translates to uh, strong drink. It's often condemned in the Bible. If you go, if you notice, it's just as you read strong drink, you're like, it's uh, pretty often it seems to be condemned in its usage. But there's several times, it's com- so in the book of Numbers, you can just write this down, Numbers chapter 28, verse 7, it's actually commanded as an offering to God. Um, in Numbers, that's shakar, that's strong drink. And so we can derive from that that the Jewish people made it and used it, and it was also regarded as a good thing. Now, it, it probably was a little bit more potent. I would argue that the phrase strong drink didn't necessarily refer to its potency, though. It was, it was more like a... If you've ever been around someone brewing beer, not that you know, many of you have, but if you have, whenever the hops start to percolate, it's a strong smell, right? It, it hits you a little bit, yeah? <laughs> it's not a, it's not for the weak of heart, you know, like it's a, it's potent. And so I would argue that really, and I mean like, have y'all ever seen anybody make prison wine? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to, I mean, let's just say it out loud. Has anybody ever seen anybody make prison wine before? All right, we got a few hands. I appreciate that. Prison wine is one of the most terrifying drinks I've ever seen in my life. It's literally like bread, old fruit cups, scraps from tables put in a big plastic bag, and, and they seal it. And they have to burp it. You have to burp it like what every couple hours, don't you? Yeah, you got to like get the gases out of it every couple hours. Like it's a, and the, if you think about it long enough, prison wine is basically shakar. Okay, like it's the same. They would put all this stuff and let it go to let it go sideways and ferment, and they'd burp it, and then they'd strain it, and then they drink it. <laughs> okay, that's prison wine. That's shakar. So I think they're talking more about. More about a, a strong drink here. So, and God, even in Deuteronomy chapter 14, tells people to go, if they can't bring their offerings with them, this is important, by the way, if they can't bring their offerings to God with them, they're to sell what they have and then go 
to where they're supposed to do their offering and buy strong drink and wine and good food and throw a party as an offering to God. You know, amen. That's Deuteronomy 14. But it says strong drink right there, buddy. There's a guy, look at on YouTube, there's a guy who was in the slammer for forever, and he was the prison wine guy. This is how I know about it. And he, he made a video after he got out of prison on, but he was like, his prison wine was the best prison wine. You know, like he had a reputation for it. So I would say, I think he even called it toilet wine because most of them make it in the toilet. But you know, like it, that's his... That's his thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, check that out. I can't remember his name, buddy, but he's on there. It's not, it's not, it's not high powered. Yeah, you're right. It's not high powered. Um, that's why, that's partly why I'm saying I think it has more to do with the odor than the strength of the drink. No, they're not, it's not a distilling process. It's a big black trash bag. Oh, Shakar. Okay. I'm assuming that the tech is the same as basically what they're doing whenever they make prison wine. I'm assuming they don't have a distilling process because they barely had a fermentation process. So I'm thinking that's probably in the same lane. All right. In the New Testament words for alcohol, we have, do y'all know what the New Testament? I just told you. Dead gummit. What's the New Testament word for wine? Oh, you didn't hear me say it, did you? It's oinas. 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 Okay. Oinos is the New Testament word for wine, um, and I've heard people say this too, where they say things like, oinos could be completely parallel with our modern understanding of grape juice. And I'm like, no, it can't. Grape juice didn't exist until the 1920s. That's ridiculous. That's not possible for it to mean that parallel thing. What they mean is they mean lightly fermented wine. But we can see from the Bible that people still get drunk off of lightly fermented wine. There's, look at me, there is no unfermented <laughs> wine in the Bible, unless you're squeeze, squeezing the jape, grapes straight into your mouth. It's just not happening. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a dork. There's no, there's no way to lightly ferment anything. You can water it. <laughs> yeah. Fermentation is going to take its course once it starts until pasteurization was invented. Yeah. It's going to happen. Sorry. I mean early fermented. Excuse me. I mean like it's only been in the process for a couple of weeks there. So... Distinguishing. Now, <clears throat> but then there's the word trucks, T-R-U-X, which means that, that it's typically understood to mean that less fermented, that unfermented kind of wine, but it is fermented according to all lexicons, according to context. Um, if you look at Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 2, it all talks about do not dr be drunk with wine, do not be addicted to too much wine or enslaved to wine. That's all oinos. Note the additional words, drunk with, addicted, much, enslaved. We see the Bible condemns the abuse of these things and not the use of them. Okay? Do you get the principles here that we're trying to understand? Now, we said this last time, and we'll say it again now that, I, now that we're here. Um, it, it is important to understand here that there are some people that you need to be familiar with their frame and not put... Uh, not put burdens upon their conscience. Like if you, if you got somebody who's been fighting with alcoholism their entire life, 
they need certain parameters in their life, at least for a season, to help them be able to grow and mature in Christ and move on from those things. And there's lots of brothers that we have in the room with us today and that we go to church with. They go to the refinery, and the refinery's got specific rules because it's a recovery house, and it should have those rules. Like, that's, that's all good and right, and we want that. My point is, anybody who's telling you that to drink alcohol is a sin is sinning. Okay? They're adding to the law of God. And the Bible actually says that those people will be cursed. I'm convinced that the reason, not the reason, but one of the large reasons that our brothers in the Southern Baptist Convention are falling apart right now is because they added to the law of God. Because they said, no drinking wines the devil. Because they said, what was the other one? Do you all remember? No dancing. That's right. Somebody said it. I heard it someplace. No dancing. Dancing's the devil. And, they, and there was a couple of other ones in there. And as a result, God curses. He does. He curses. And so we as God's people have to make sure that we're adhering to his word all the way. Uh, glucose only occurs once in the whole scriptures. And that's in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. And it happens in the context of when the apostles get accused of being drunk. <laughs> Like, so there's always, always this understanding. Now, there is a, a handful of harder passages. Um, okay, so go to Leviticus chapter 10. Y'all go to Leviticus chapter 10. There's a handful of harder passages whenever it comes to this. Okay, so here's the principle. God gives his people good gifts. And wine, alcohol, is one of those good gifts. And he often prescribes it medicinally, um, or to, to lift the spirits in a heavy time that you're going through. Like he, those, th- those are prescriptive. Those are, he says, take part in this. Uh, let the poor man drink, right? The Bible says that. But it also says a king, it says right next to that passage, it says a king shouldn't drink while he's ruling. Well, amen, <laughs> right? Nobody wants a drunk king. They're going to make bad decisions, okay? We want sober-minded kings, But it does say, let the poor man drink. Let the man who's going through suffering and trial in his life, let him drink that his heart may be merry. Leviticus chapter 10. Somebody read verses 8 through 11 for me. Who's got that? Go ahead, Landon. Okay, so here we've got some very specific commands. It's kind of like the king's passages that we just referenced in Proverbs. The priests are not to drink when? When they're ministering, right? The priests are to abstain from alcohol as they're ministering, which, I mean, back in the gap, whenever they're ministering before the Lord, if they did something wrong, what happened? They died. (laughs) You know, like, you're like, and maybe they got something wrong and the whole of Israel wasn't atoned for because they they screwed a step up in the process. You want those guys to be sober-minded. They also were told to wash a certain way and wear certain clothing, but these principles, like in Leviticus, did not apply to them all the time. You see that pretty clearly, don't you? You see, it's kind of like if you hired somebody to work for you, And uh, you hired a guy to come to your house and cut your grass, okay? And he shows up to cut your grass, 
and he gets out of his truck with a 40. And he looks at you and he says, where's your lawnmower at? What would you tell him? Not today, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to need you to, I'm going to need you to get out of here. Why? Because he's about to be operating heavy machinery while he's inebriated at your house, <laughs> you know, like danger, danger, danger. Oh, we got all kinds of problems. You wouldn't want that in the same sense. You wouldn't want the priest doing that in the same sense. You wouldn't want the king doing that. Somebody go to, well, actually, let's all go to Numbers chapter six. Everybody go to Numbers chapter six <clears throat> and we're going to read it. A passage that probably some of you have already thought about as we've been talking through this. Now remember my overall agenda here, okay? My overall agenda here. I put my cards on the table the first week that we were teaching through this. My overall agenda is that the Lord's Supper should be wine. Why should it be wine? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say Welch's, right? He didn't say grape juice. He said, this wine, take this cup, right, and remember me. And we've been using grape juice. Why? Because of our tradition. Do you get what I'm saying? That's it. That's bottom line. We, we can't righteously do this anymore. And so I have, a tr I have an agenda here. Like we're, we're moving in a direction to where one day our Lord's Supper will be bread and wine. And realistically, it's going to take me four or five months to get there, just realistically. But now, for those of you who are currently in a situation like staying at the refinery or things along those lines, we're going to have both options in the tray. You know, so we're going to have uh, the, the, uh, the juice is probably going to be white in color, and the wine is probably going to be red in color, just so everybody has that in your brain. Just so, and there'll be clear distinctives to make. But the same trays will be passed, it'll be the same process. But it should be wine because Jesus said it should be wine. And we want to be people of God that obey what Jesus has said. Therefore, it should be wine. It should be. Some people say, I saw this great talk by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was a beast. You know, like that guy. We, we lost a great man when we lost him. But R.C. Sproul, he said, one time somebody came up to him and said, why can't it be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Coca-Cola? Why has it got to be bread and wine? And R.C. Sproul came unhinged. And he was like... <laughs> Because that's what Jesus consecrated. <laughs> he didn't consecrate PB&J and Coca-Cola. He consecrated bread and wine. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do whatever you want in remembrance of me. He said, do this. You get what I'm saying? I think that's a great easy rebuttal. Why can't it just be, because if it can be, here's the thing too. Here's another easy. If it can be grape juice, then it can be Coca-Cola. Do you get what I'm saying? Because we've moved away from Jesus' prescription. If it can be grape juice, what I used to say to people a while back whenever I was trying to like provoke a conversation, I would say, if it can be grape juice, then it can be scotch. And they'd be like, no, no, no. And I was like, no, it can, right? If it can be whatever we want, it can be, it can be whiskey. If it can be grape juice, can it? Same thing? No? Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. Somebody read that for me. Who's got that? Go ahead, buddy. Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. All right, and the Lord shall speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either man or woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite, separate himself to the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dry. All the days of his 
shall be holy. You shall let the locks of his hair, of his head, grow long. All the days that he separates himself from the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Mm, okay, so we got don't touch dead things. Okay. We got don't cut your hair. And we got don't drink alcohol. Boop, boop, boop. No wine and no strong drink. Don't even like, don't even touch the skin of a grape. Like, don't even mess with it. We can't, why? Well, because there is no such thing as unfermented. <laughs> okay, so, but let's think about this for a second. This is, this is what? What kind of vow is this? Y'all know. This is the Nazarite vow. Now, it's very specific. And you notice from the context there that Nazarite vows aren't permanent. They're for a season. Okay, there was a season where you, you took a particular type of vow, a particular type of fast to pursue the Lord. Now, we do this in the New Testament time, too, except we don't call it a Nazarite vow. What do we call it in the New Testament time? We, we just call it a fast, right? We fast from food. What's something else the Bible tells us to fast from? Sex, that's right. The Bible talks about that. There, those are important things for us to remember. There's no thing in the New Testament about fasting from haircuts, uh, but that was a thing back in the Old Testament time uh, that they, they practiced in. Now, there's an exception to this vow being temporary. Do you guys know who the exception is? Samson. Samson was to be a Nazarite from the from birth, from the womb. You know, he was to be a Nazarite. And remember, what it was his experience with Delilah. What happened? She cut off his hair and then he lost his weakness. But let me ask you this. Did he break his Nazarite vow before that point? Heck yeah, he did. He broke it like a champion. Remember, he reached into the dead lion and pulled out what? Honey. And he was not supposed to do that. What else did he do? He definitely went to many a party. And he was real. I'm pretty sure he had some grape juice. Well, not Welch's, if you get what I'm saying. Like pretty sure he, he partook, so to speak. You can kind of see that throughout those stories. <clears throat> so Samson, the moment, it's interesting though, whenever she cut his hair, that was like, God was like, all right, we're, you know, we're, this is it, dude. You're not, you're not that doing it. That was the only one. He, God was like, all right, you've lost your, we're done here. You're, you're not strong anymore. We're moving on. Samson was a different kind of case here. And it's only, but most of the time, a Nazarite vow it's a temporary thing. I think fasting in New Testament time is good. From food, from sex, from alcoholic beverages, from coffee. Ooh, that last one hurt your feelings, didn't it? You know, what, you know whatever. I think, that, I think that that's good things to do, to, to fast and it drives you, it motivates you unto the Lord. All those pieces go well. <laughs> so Judges chapter 13. Y'all go to Judges chapter 13. That's where it talks about, I'm sorry, don't actually go there. We've already referenced it. Na Samson was the perpetual Nazarite. That's different. Um, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. I'll just read this for you. It talks about wine being a mocker and strong drink being a, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That's a warning that's concerning the potential dangers of abusing alcohol. <clears throat> now, we have to remember as we're going through this, we're not talking about use, we're talking about abuse, okay? All of God's created gifts can be abused. We had a, we had a company party at my house um, not too long ago, and it was, there was, it was an adult party with adults present, and so we had cocktails and things like that, but before the party started, we stood up before the party started and we said, hey guys, listen up, there's beverages here, 
Mary is permissible under the scriptures. Drunkenness is not. Amen. And everybody said, amen. And then we moved on and we had a party for the rest of the night. And you know what? Everybody governed themselves appropriately. That's good. You know, there's a difference between their hearts were merry with wine and you're naked and passed out on the floor. Like, you know, (laughs) there's a sharp distinction there. Okay. So being merry with wine is one thing and it's permissible. Now, if you're merry every day, you're a drunkard. Do you see the difference? Y'all, y'all tracking with me here? If, if you're married all the time, well, you have a different problem that we need to discuss, okay? Um, yes, Ashley. I feel like when you have that problem, you're not very married. <laughs> your merriness, yeah. You become dependent on it at that point, and so now you need it just to be, right, you just need it to be normal, right? It becomes like all the standard types of addictions, where I just, I need this to be a human. I just need this to feel normal. You ever heard of the expression, the hair of the dog? Y'all ever heard of that? Of course you have, because we live in the South. But you have a bad hangover from the night before, and you wake up in the morning, you shotgun two beers, and then you feel better. Why? Because it, it brings you back to what your normal was. See, that's a problem. You see, that's, that's, now we've got an abuse issue here. But for celebrations, festivals, all this kind of stuff, this is why whenever Jesus turned water into wine, it was such an amazing thing. Because what, what did the master of the feast say? Do you guys remember? And then they bring the cheap stuff after everybody's what? Mary. You know what I'm saying? Like whenever their faculties are a little less and their discernment is a little less, then they bring out the Olive Garden giant bottle of wine that they didn't have before. But on the front end, they got the good stuff, you know, for everybody to have their first glass. You see, like there's this... There's this progression that happens in the scriptures. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And Jesus also said that we should have wine in our remembrance of him. So there's a ton of passages here. I don't want to spend time going through every single one of them. Because there's just so many. Okay, But if you do have specific questions about certain passages when it comes to Uh, abstaining or uh, the use of wine or the proper use. Maybe some of you guys are just like, Pastor Stewart, I need you to define Mary more detailed for me. To which I would say to you, Christian liberty, my brothers and sisters, you know, like, here's the deal. Mary is permissible, drunk is not. Exactly where the line is exists within your Christian liberty. But if you cross it, one of your brothers and sisters who loves you is going to tell you that you're being stupid, okay? And you should receive that rebuke with joyful, glad heart, and move on to the next thing. And if you're merry every day, <clears throat> or a lot of days, then you got a problem there too. That's the general principles. But do you see how I'm giving you principles and not, here's the regulatory laws? Uh, because that's the way the Bible works. We want to be operating that way. So if you have specific questions, call me, email me, shoot me a text message. I'd be happy to kick the ball around with you. Um, I, also have some, uh, I also have some reading that I could recommend to you for those of you that like to read. I can give you a book. Well, I can tell you the book. You have to buy it yourself. Also, if, you, if I have loaned you a book, would you return it to me? Because I looked at my shelves the other day and I realized like four of my favorite books are missing. So um, if I've loaned you one, please give it back. <laughs> I don't know where they are. So anyway, um, that's it for today. Do y'all have any questions about this before we kind of start wrapping up? Cool. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll uh, get ready for the Lord's Day. Father, thank you so much that you teach and instruct us according to your word. I pray that we would enjoy it.
Thank you so much that we may be people who would submit to your commands all of our days. I pray that we would enjoy you and honor you. Help us to prepare our hearts for this time of worship now, and let us love you more because of it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 See y'all in like five minutes.